Well, let's pick up from where we were six weeks ago because I know you're just on pins and needles. Our text, we're talking about how God moves in our lives, the miraculous. Our text was Second Chronicles 25. And in this particular text, the, uh, the prophet, this prophet guy, is talking to this king guy. And the king is a little bit nonplussed. He's a little freaked out over some circumstances that were going on. And he was assessing his strengths and trying to figure out what to do. And the prophet guy says to the king, the man of God answered, the Lord has much more to give you than this. Now, this is a very provocative statement because it's resting on this notion that God loves to engage with human beings. That he loves to involve himself in our lives. The very first chapter of Genesis talks about how God was created the heavens and the earth and everything wasn't quite what it needed to be. There was a development, a process. And we find God, the scripture says, hovering over the earth. And that, and that, and that idea of hovering, the word that's used there is brooding, uh, which I've told you that's like, the, like a chicken or a hen broods over the eggs. There's, if you look inside the hen's eyes, you know what you see? You see baby chicks because the hen is expecting. That's why the hen is hanging over the eggs, right? And that's the idea. The idea in scripture is God broods over our lives. Why? Because he has much more to do for you than this. That God wants more for you. God wants more for me. Very provocative because you've got to ask yourself the question, do I believe it? Sometimes you'll say yes, sometimes you'll say no. And probably saying no is as important as saying yes. It should be a wrestle. Am I going to buy into this thing? Am I going to embrace this idea of faith? This is the struggle of faith, and it's not easy. Next time we're together, I'm going to talk about how hard faith is, just to encourage you. But, but sometimes you have to wrestle with it. Is, does God have more for you? than what you're seeing right now. Will he engage with your life? See, the scriptures suggest that is exactly what he wants to do. And because he does, the scriptures say that having faith in God actually brings change in our lives. Watch this text. This is 1 John 5. John writes, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. He's talking about a person who has crossed the threshold of faith and they've opened their lives to God and somehow they get messed with. Something happens in the life of a person that says yes to God. And, and those of you that have crossed the threshold of faith, you know what this is. You know how you were messed with inside. There's something different inside. Those of you that have never done that, mm, you have something to look forward to. Because it's transforming. It's beautiful. If you cultivate that, if you cultivate that trust, that faith, he says what happens is you're, you start to overcome the world. <laughs> it sounds trite, but you become a world overcomer. Right? And then he says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Something about trusting God makes you overcome stuff that's in the world. Stuff that would destroy you or should destroy you. All of a sudden it changes because you're precisely because you're trusting in God who is henning you. He's, he's brooding over your life. He's longing for the chicks to come. He's longing for change in your life. He's longing for transformation in your life. I think all of us love the notion of changing our world for the better. 
with faith. I mean, there's no one that would be against that. The Bible is, and church history, full of examples of people doing just that. Overcoming circumstances, breaking up bondages, pushing back and defeating evil in the world. Beautiful stories. I mean, you have everything from the wild and woolly story of the Jews who are stuck, you know, they're up against the Red Sea and there ain't no way out, baby. And their enemies are coming against them. They're going to kill them today. This constitutes a bad day. There is no way. And yet God makes a way where there was no way. He parts the sea, they leave, and God stops their enemies. These kinds of stories, I mean, they're jacked up with hope. That God can actually get you out where you don't see a way out. And then you have stories of physical healings. Where people are going one direction, looks like they're going to die and something changes. And you have stories about deliverance from accidents, peril. You have stories about miracle provision where people don't have any way to have provision and somehow God provides for them in physical ways, financial ways. These Bottom line is whatever touches you according to the biblical claim, according to the historical claim, whatever touches you touches God. Whatever concerns you concerns God. God wants to help us. Bottom line, if you're in trouble, God wants you to pray. If you're sick, God wants you to ask him for, to help you with physical restoration. If you are in financial trouble, God wants to help you sort that out. If you are relationships that are falling apart, God wants to jump into the thick of that mess and help you know what to do next. And you have all these great promises from promises of healing where in Matthew 8 and 16, it talks about how Jesus healed all these people. And at the end of the verse, it says in verse 17, he took up our infirmities. He bore our diseases. It's, it's a claim that God will actually heal us. Or a text like this in Philippians 4. And the text, the context is money. Read it in Philippians 4. Paul is talking about money. And something as mundane and everydayish and earthy as money. Paul says, my God will jump into that with you. And he will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. These promises are invitations to us. To invite God into the various areas of our lives. And, 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 and th- so that things will change. God will change things in our lives. I, God promises to move mountains for us. There's a great text, Jesus. It's a very famous text where Jesus encourages the disciples. He says, guys, have faith in God. Everybody say that. Have faith in God. Trust God. Why? He said, if you trust God. He said, I'm telling you, you can talk to mountains. If they'll throw themselves in the sea, if you don't doubt, it'll happen. See, God actually moves mountains where stuff is between you and what you feel you're a place you're supposed to be and there's no way you can see around it. But God will blast it out. God will help us. I love this. I love seeing, watching God intervene in the lives of everyday people. And he does. But that being said, it would be a mistake For people of faith to think that God only focuses on changing external things for us. Because the truth is, contrary to what some people think, faith is not supposed to be this great cosmic dishwasher that cleans all of our messes in life and all the dirtiness of life. You know, so that everything, when we give it to the Lord, all is peachy and effervescent. It's not true. The truth is we live in a fallen world and sometimes God doesn't change the crud we're in externally. 
Sometimes he gives us grace to live through the crud. That's bad news. In some cases, faith doesn't eliminate the suck. It gives us suckability. To endure the suck. Here's a classic example. This is Paul. He's got trouble in a big sack. He's talking to God about it. God, God, please, 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 God, 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 God. Get rid of this deal. I have a right to be happy. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Lord, please do this mountain thing. Get this thing out of here. And God said to me, "Uh uh-uh. My grace is sufficient for you in the context you're in. For my power is made perfect in the crud you're in. In the weak, how you're getting weakened by this external. My power is made perfect in the midst of that. And so Paul says, whoa, therefore I will boast all the more gladly when stuff isn't going my way. When stuff is beaten up against me. When I start getting weakened because something's messing with me. Instead of trying to talk my way or pray my way, I'm going to say to God, God, thank you. I'm glad about my circumstances because Christ's power rests on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in my insults. I delight in my hardships, really. I delight in my persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, cool. Horrible, but cool. This doesn't mean you didn't continue to pray for it to change. It just means the motive for change isn't because I hate my life. I hate my life, God. I hate Joe. Please change him. Then I will be happy. See, God isn't going to change your world because you'll be happier. In fact, if you hate your life because of Joe, God will send more Joes into your life. (laughs) You'll have Joes everywhere. Because the miracle often is not God changing our externals. The miracle often is God changing us so we can face our externals. Then sometimes the externals don't matter or then sometimes they actually will change later. Sometimes people pray for 20 years about a thing before it ever changes. But that does not mean God isn't in the mix of it. Right? And, and, but here's what's wild. I used to think, I used to think a lot of things. I used to think that that. That is exactly what faith was supposed to do. That if you had enough faith, you'd be able to eliminate all the bad stuff in your life. Just And so when you'd see somebody that was in trouble, i think, hmm, I wonder what they didn't do. I wonder what they did. I wonder if they should grow in faith. So you judge people. If you think faith can control the world, that that's what faith is for. Now don't misunderstand me. Faith overcomes the world. And you really can change things. But faith doesn't make you a witch. You know how witches or warlocks, you know, they think they can change their circumstances and change people by their incantations from their book. Right? Sometimes Christians think, if I can just confess the scriptures, I'll change these people and change these circumstances. You know, all you're doing is being a witch. That's not faith isn't becoming a witch. Faith is trusting in a God who changes things. Sometimes he changes you to endure the things. Yeah? Well, the reality is, 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 you know, when you read the Bible, I used to, like I said, I used to think that if I just had enough faith, it would change everything in my life. That was when I was younger. And the reality is, I used to know a lot when I was young. In fact, I'm, I'm shocked at how smart I was. And it's true. The younger you are, the smarter you are. It's amazing. Then you get stupid. Now I'm stupid. Because, you know, you read the Bible and sometimes it makes you stupid. 
Because you find out that your idealism isn't always the case, even in Scripture. So I'm thinking, I mean, you know, faith comes by hearing you can control the world, overcome everything you want to overcome. And then I read verses like this. These are disturbing. 2 Corinthians 11. This is Paul. Now, Paul is a great apostle. He wrote a third of the New Testament. Faith comes by hearing. He's the one that wrote, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So presumably, Paul had a lot of faith. So you would think Paul had, you know, at least cartoon birds and stuff following him, chirping as he walked along. Life was beautiful, right? But here's Paul. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. My ship broke. I spent a night and the day in the open sea. I have been in constantly on the move. I, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my in-laws, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in dangers in the country, in dangers at the sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and told often without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I don't know where God didn't provide that that day. I've been cold. I've been naked. Besides all this, I feel the daily pressure of concern for all the churches. I mean, the reality was the great apostle Paul had bad days. In fact, sometimes faith makes things harder, not easier. Okay. I, you know what I think the problem is? I think, I think when you think I'm supposed to have a happy, no problem life, we think that's a sign of great faith. We're actually being more American than Christian. Because Americans, you know, our very constitution promises, you know, our economy and our declaration of independence. We say we have the right to pursue happiness. By the time you hit the 1840s and the California uh, declare, you know, their, their, uh, their whole state deal constitution starts out by saying, not only do we have the right to pursue happiness, we have the right to happiness. We have the right to be happy. And we think as Americans, technology, that's our right to make us happy. And if the technology doesn't do it, you know, certainly the economy should make us happy or the government should make us happy. You know, make sure everything's right for us. Make sure we have all our rights in place. And if that doesn't work, well, then we can just add God. God can make up for the difference. It's our right as Americans. We're going to have a great life. And I love that. I love America. I love that view. But the reality is, sometimes life sucks eggs. And things don't always work. And God is not just there to make up for where the government lacks. Weak amens. Don't misunderstand me. I think, I think we're supposed to pray for things to change. I think, I, but we need to understand that th- when things don't change, when we want them to change or the way we want them to change, that does not mean that God is not right smack in the midst of the deal working for you and working with you to try to bring good into your life. Often the greatest miracle is not the changed circumstance. Often the greatest miracle is the fact that you're smiling as you plod through the crud when nothing changes. It's a miracle. I... I, I You've heard me say this if you've heard me preach a number of times because I only have a certain amount of stories because I only have one life. <laughs> I could make stuff up, pretend I was someone else, but you know. I got, so a few years ago, I got diagnosed with uh, diabetes. I hated that. I am a candy lover and a donut lover, pie lover, cake lover, pasta lover, potato lover, all the stuff that diabetics 
shouldn't have that much of, right? So the doctor tells me, I'm a diabetic. No, no, no. I want to be healed. I want to be healed. What's the solution? Well, either you get healed. He's a, the guy that's my doctor is my Christian doctor. So I said, I want to be healed. I said, either that or you're going to have to learn to exercise and eat right. I'll choose the healed. <laughs> so here I am praying. I've been praying for years. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're the giver of life and health. Thank you, Lord, that, that you, through Christ, bore healing by the stripes of Jesus were healed. I mean, I believe that. I know that. I thank God. That I trust God's impacting my life. But my blood still gets oversugared when I don't eat right and exercise. So I fight to eat better. I fight to exercise. And I've discovered that being consistent with my eating habits and being consistent with my exercise, I found out that, honestly, that's a greater miracle for me to be able to do that than if God would have just healed me so I can eat all the donuts I want to eat. I'm telling you, I'm going to still pray. There's some people who pray for 17, 20, 25 years, and then they got an answer. I'm going to still pray till I die. God, thank you. Take the diabetes out of my body, because I really do want those donuts. <laughs> but the reality is, I may never see that. I may only have the courage and the, cons- the power to be consistent, to make those right choices. I mean, I was eating yesterday. This is how bad it is. I was eating yesterday, and I'm eating and finishing my meal, and in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, Schnicker bar. I'd like a snicker bar. I think it's tough thinking of that. See, I got to fight those. See, Halloween. It's the devil's brew. Now, I didn't, you know, people, some people are actually against Halloween because they're just, uh, the, the roots of the holiday are demonic. Oh, the roots of most things are demonic. I think celebrate whatever. I mean, I used to, when I was, I've been pastor for 30 years. When I was younger, people would say, oh, I think the Halloween, we should be against Halloween. I said, well, how could you be against something where you take a bag and go to houses and get free candy? There's nothing about the devil about that. That's the Lord. I mean, it may have started out with the devil, but God redeemed it. Well, now, since I've gotten diabetes, it is the devil. It is the devil. Devil work. Butterfingers and candy corn, candy corn. I love candy corn. Stop. Back off. Be gone from me. <laughs> here's, a, here's a legitimate question. If any of you had like a Snicker bar, I'd be all right if you get it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, here's a legitimate question. It, why are there such specific promises that are afforded to us? where we're asked, invited to ask God for healing when healing doesn't always happen. Why are there specific promises for provision when it doesn't always happen? Why are there specific promises for deliverance when it doesn't always happen? Why? I mean, you take the verse, uh, by his stripes we are healed. Very, very explicit verse. And yet, if you look at the scripture themselves, with the Bible guys that knew these verses... Uh, we have a text like this, 1 Timothy 5. It's talking about Timothy. Paul's talking to his friend Timothy. And Timothy, or Paul says to him, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your what? Frequent illnesses. So why wasn't he healed? I mean, why is this in the Bible? I mean, why did this guy need something more? Because I don't know. I have no idea. I do know this. We're supposed to pray about stuff. We're supposed to trust God to change stuff, even when it doesn't change. And sometimes things happen when we pray, just like we pray them, and sometimes they don't. That doesn't mean God's not working. 
That doesn't mean God's not right there with us in the midst of the thing, even when it's unchanged, for he is a very present help in times of trouble. And see, we think if God's really present, there wouldn't be trouble. But that's not how God thinks. Or Pastor Lathan quoted, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Seems to me, if he was really with me, I wouldn't be in that particular valley. I'd be in some of the mountain or something. Right? It doesn't make sense to us, but that doesn't mean it's not true. What am I saying to you? God's always with you. It doesn't matter what's going on. God's always with you. Let me close with this. This is an email I got from um, one of the leaders in our Tulsa context. Been around for years. And uh, she's a nurse. Her, father, her husband is a physician. And a few years ago, she, he developed a lump and uh, ended up being cancer. And now they're on the back end of that story. But uh, recently, about six weeks ago, I think I told you this, um, the little girl, nine-month-old girl, they got four kids, nine-month-old girl, Elizabeth, was sitting in the, in the, uh, in the restaurant, and they, they brought this hot, boiling hot soup in a Thai restaurant, boiling hot water soup. And the little girl grabbed the soup thing and pulled it into her lap and spilled all on her thing. Second, third-degree burns. Rushed her to the hospital. They were going to have to fly her to Louisiana, they thought. Well, the doctor said, well, let's wait overnight. So the church is running at her. The community is running at her like we do here in all our campuses. Meals and caring for people, praying for them. Well, in the middle of this thing, they're talking about having to do surgery with her, but maybe not. You know, and they're trusting God in this context. Amy, who's the girl, writes an email to all of us that are praying. Here's what she wrote. Thank you all so much for the calls, the prayers, the help with the kids. We're hopeful that Elizabeth will avoid surgery, but we're trusting her to God. As I was driving home today, I thought back to a not-so-long-ago time in my life when I was petitioning the Lord for my husband, Michael. I remember when that lump first appeared in his narsopharnix. He said, we, we prayed that it would just be a benign lump of tissue. It wasn't. It was cancer. Then we prayed that it wouldn't spread. But it did spread to his bilateral lymph nodes. Then we prayed that it would be lymphoma and not the horrible uh, squamous, uh, squamous cell carcinoma, which is much worse. It was the carcinoma. Then we prayed that he would just need radiation to deal with this, not chemo. He needed both. Then we prayed that he would thrive during the treatment, not feel poorly or miss work. Well, let's say months of no work. Then we pray that he'd be able to eat on his own, not need a feeding tube. He had a feeding tube for six months. Then we pray that he would, he would not need to be hospitalized. Merry Christmas 2006, he was hospitalized on Christmas Day. Then we pray that he would live, and he did. And then we pray that he'd recover his strength and gain back his weight. And he has. And then we pray that he would recover some of the taste that his doctor said he would permanently lose during the treatment. And he has. So saying all this, I don't know the road we're going to have to walk down with little Elizabeth. It may involve some things that we would rather not deal with. But I'm confident of this. In the end, God will once again prove faithful. See, when you're praying and things don't go right, you're first, if you're not careful, the first thing you'll think is, why me? Why is this going on? Why God? See, you can't go there. 
You can't go there just because things haven't changed. When the stuff hits the fan, you face God and you say, number one, God, I'm not my own. I belong to you. I'm not asking you to change this because I hate my life. I'm not asking you to change this because I'm afraid of what it will do. You can't pray because you're afraid. Scared praying doesn't work. Oh, I need to pray. What's wrong? The doctor says I have cancer and I'm going to die. Okay, so what's the problem? I'm going to die. I need to pray. Don't die. So you're scared of dying. Yes, that's why I'm praying. No, you're, you're not going to work. You don't pray because you're scared of dying. In fact, being scared of dying is the ultimate lack of faith. As horrible as it sounds and as scary as it really is, we're all going to die. Life is a terminal experience. Right? So you don't pray because you're afraid. You pray because you say, God, I belong to you and I'm not sure I'm done. You got to get past that. You pray. So you say, God, my life belongs to you too. God, you're able to work all things together for good. Stand up. Would you stand up so you know, think I'm done real quick? This buys me a minute anyway. How many? Okay. How many will give me another minute? That's 10 of you right there. Praise God. (laughs) That means 10 minutes. What was I saying? Senior moment. Oh, I know what I was saying. I don't remember what I was saying. Praise the Lord. Oh, when you would. Okay. When stuff hits the fan, I belong to God. Number two, God, I'm trusting you that all things work together for good. That's a Bible verse. Which means God's going to work everything out. You don't know how it's going to work out, but you know God's going to work it out. And what's weird about God is God is not logical. Logical is a straight line. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's a straight line. So if I want to get there, and I'm praying, God, I want to get there. We assume God will just get us there. But see, God's not logical. God is what's called teleological. Which means he doesn't get there in a straight line. So if God wants you to get there, he'll do this to you. God has his way. We have to start to pray now because I'm out of breath. You may be seated. I want to invite the ushers if they would come and the worship team as they return back to our stage this morning as we transition into our communion time together. In a few moments we will be sharing communion we'll be holding in our hand the piece of bread that represents the body of Christ and the cup that represents the blood that was shed for us and we're going to be partaking that together as a family allowing the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and our lives and focusing in on that but before we do before we do there's a challenge that I'm wanting to challenge you with throw out to you 
By the way, we bought a brand new board for Pastor Ed and he didn't even use it. I don't, th- I don't think we'll have him come back again. Uh, right at the very beginning of his message, he, he quoted this verse or shared this verse with us. He said this, Everyone born of God overcomes the world. When you read a verse like that, there's a question that has to come right after it that I'm going to ask. And it's a question that only you can answer. The person sitting next to you can't answer it for you. Your mom and dad can't answer it for you. You can't answer it for your husband. You can't answer it for your wife. You can't answer it for your children. But it's talking about everyone born of God. The Word of God clearly teaches that we're all sinners. We're all in need of a Savior. We all need to come to an experience and accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Be born again. Well, the question I have to ask you this morning is, are you born of God? You know, back in 1953, I was born physically. I was born of Lathan Montgomery Duncan. Only the second person ever named Lathan. I became the third and there's a fourth one. I was born of Florine, Eva Florine Duncan, my mother and father. Born physically. But then, years later, in 1975, I was born of God. And as a result of that experience, birth, that new birth, God has been there with me, helping me to overcome the world. So the question I have for you this morning, are you born of God? In a few moments, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. I'm going to invite all of you to join with me to repeat this prayer after me. And if you're here this morning and you have not prayed this prayer, if you've never prayed it from your heart, never reached out and said, I, God, I want to experience you. I want to know you. I want to embrace the truth. I want the forgiveness of my sins. I want to start a new life. I want to be born of God. This morning, as you pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit will come as He brings conviction and restoration and, and forgiveness. Your walk will begin. A step will be taken in the right direction, experiencing that new birth. So would you bow your heads with me this morning? And just repeat this prayer after me again. I invite all of us to pray this. And again, you're praying it from your heart this morning. Maybe a word that Pastor Ed shared this morning. That just resonated in your heart. And, and it just caused you to say this. That's the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. Stirring you and saying, yes, you need. You need what Jesus did on that cross. You need that salvation. You need Jesus and his forgiveness. So would you pray this prayer after me? Dear Lord Jesus. Something in my heart tells me I need you. I now confess my sin and repent of my sin. And by faith, I ask you to come into my life as my Savior and my Lord.